All right, so now I'm excited to introduce today's speaker, our lead pastor, Charles Park. He is going to be giving a wonderful sermon that I've had a sneak peek of. Uh, so let's welcome Charles. Thank you, Allison. A lot of fun stuff happening. I hope you uh, partake and enjoy. Happy fall, everyone. Welcome to the river. This is our open house Sunday, so if you are new, Today or recently, special welcome to you. My name is Charles. I'm the lead pastor, as Allison introduced me. Let me begin with a brief introduction about myself. I did not grow up a Christian. Many people do who are pastors, but I grew up uh, an atheist because my dad was a professor of German philosophy, <laughs> and he was deeply into people like Nietzsche, and, you know, these people are not known for their faith, okay? So education was my family's religion. Knowledge was uh, of utmost value. So I ended up with a PhD from MIT. It's not an easy thing to do, I tell you. I had to work hard. But all this is to say, I did not have conventional Christian background like you might expect from a pastor. Um, but perhaps that's what allows me to see the value of Christian faith from a fresh angle as an outsider. Instead of just accepting traditional answers, to be able to see why faith is relevant today. And that's the topic for, uh, as we begin our new sermon series. It's called Why Faith? Why Faith? The traditional answer from churches and Christians that you might be familiar with usually goes something like this. Why to have faith? Because we are all sinners. And we are bound for hell because God is bound by justice to punish us with eternal torment because we deserve it. But here's the good news. Our oldest brother, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and died in our stead. So now we are good with God. And Jesus is Lord and Savior, and as long as you accept these few statements, we are rescued from fires of hell, and we will enjoy heaven forever with harps and angels and all that. Right? Have you heard of something like this? I'm sure most of you, all of us, are probably familiar with some version of this, right? That's the usual answer. In theological terms, this is known as the penal substitutionary atonement theory. That's a mouthful. There's an official name for this. Or in more common vernacular, it would be like four spiritual laws or stuff like that, right? This theory is what most people think of when they hear the word gospel, as if there is no other way to understand Christian faith. Today, I'm here to tell you, and hopefully blow your mind, that that is not true. This is just a theory. And it's not straight from the Bible. In fact, for the first 
thousand years of church history, this is not how the church understood the cross. This was not the dominant theory. There were other theories. Did you know that? It's just a theory. And as such, it has huge flaws. First, it makes God our enemy. Whether we deserve it or not, God is threatening eternal harm to all of humanity. That's not friendly. That feels like hostile relationship rather than friendly relationship, don't you think? So then Jesus is put in the position of having to rescue us from God, which is kind of absurd when you think about it in theological terms. Jesus and, and God, there isn't supposed to be any distance between them. Let me make this clear today. God is your friend, always, at all times. Whether we deserve it or not, God is on your side. This is the central theme of pretty much everything Jesus taught. God is always on your side. Please remember this if you remember nothing else from this sermon. God is your friend all the time. Amen? Amen. I mean, this penal substitution theory is terribly insulting to God, isn't it? God is painted as this rage-filled monster of a father who has to beat us up. Yeah, we deserve it. We messed up for whatever reason. God has to beat us up all to death and eternal suffering. But instead, Jesus, our oldest brother, steps in and gets beat up to death instead. So now we all go with God. Yay. How is this good news? Why would you want to get close to such a God? That's insulting. I mean, this kind of theory may have been popular in medieval ages, familiar with terrible and violent kings. But in this day and age, we are well-versed in family dysfunctions. We are well-versed with, you know, anger, holic, rage-filled fathers doing terrible damage. I am offended by such popular imagination of God as a rage-filled monster, and so should you. So then we are left with the question, then what? What makes gospel good news? Why faith? Is it still relevant today? Well, my answer is yes. This is church, after all. I'm a pastor. I've dedicated my life to the gospel. I'm not here to say, no, you know, forget about it. Just go home, you know. I have many reasons to say so, but for today, I want to focus on one aspect of the message of the gospel. It has the saving power in and of itself that we can all experience today, not just theorize about life after death. We don't need to bring in external mechanism of reward and punishment uh, for faith as if heaven was some candy for getting it right, you know? No, there is intrinsic saving power 
that is alive today in the message of the gospel that proclaims we are all beloved of God. No conditions attached. No conditions attached. If you can believe this and really take it into your heart, you will experience something shift in your inner being, in your soul, that will put you more at peace, more contented, more whole, more free. Because this message of the gospel is the antidote to the message of the world that is so constant and so universal around us. And it can cause so much anxiety and stress and envy and strife, judgments, insecurity. It's the message that says you are not good enough. Not enough money, not enough status, not enough respect. Your bosses don't respect you enough. You don't have enough romance in your life. No, not enough status. We are all beset with some sense of lack. No matter where we are, who we are. And what is interesting is that the wisdom from the Bible tells us that all sin, all evil, comes from this inner sense of lack that is rooted in our constant comparisons and judging of ourselves and each other. The book of Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible describes the fall of humanity that brings hell on earth. If the Bible were a murder detective story, this chapter describes the murder. It is that important. It sets up everything that follows. And the Bible is a very thick book, right? This is the critical passage that sets up everything, the fall of humanity. You're familiar with the story, right? Adam and Eve, each from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad or good and evil. And the popular imagination has it as some kind of forbidden fruit. And imagination runs wild about what this could be. All kinds of stuff. Right? It just goes wild. But what we should do instead, we should just look at the Bible text itself to tell us what this fruit is. Because the text tells us plainly, it's called the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. That's what it is. In original Hebrew, it can be not just good and evil. You can be judging between good and bad, right and wrong, better or worse, perfect or flawed. You get the picture, right? These words encompass all of that. So then the natural follow-up question is, why is knowing and judging between good and bad such a horrific crime to cause the fall of humanity that causes all problems afterwards? Have you ever wondered? Aren't you curious about that? Isn't it good to know 
between right and wrong? Isn't that exactly what churches and religions are supposed to be all about? To teach you to know and judge between good and evil? Why in the world would that be such a huge problem as to bring the end of paradise? This is one of the passages that suggests that the Bible is deeper than human wisdom. Because it's hard to imagine some human agency trying to construct a religion artificially by beginning with painting this knowledge between good and evil as the, the problem, the moral problem of humanity. I mean, you can't. I, why would you do that if you are trying to start a religion? That would be ridiculous. There's something deeper going on here, such a puzzling passage. Thankfully, the Bible text tells us why it's such a problem by describing the results of eating this fruit. When they eat it, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. To me, this is the saddest passage in the Bible. Before this, they were happy with who they were, naked, transparent. They saw themselves, and they were happy. No problem. Content. But now, when they see themselves, they feel compelled to cover up. They use the knowledge of good and bad on themselves. And the judgment is, I am not good enough. I need some covering to make myself better, to feel better. There is this sense of a hole in our hearts that compels us to go for coverings because me as I am, Naked, transparent, not good enough. I cannot just sit here. This is the beginning of all discontent, all insecurity, all envy, pride, lust, grasping after fig leaves to make ourselves feel better. It is the root of all sin. The second thing that happens is they judge God as unsafe. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why does anyone hide from anyone? They think God unsafe. Even now, flawed theories like penal substitution theory judges God as unsafe, threatening eternal harm to humanity. Finally, they judge each other. The woman you put here with me, she caused all the problems. She's to blame. Free marriage advice, guys. <laughs> Don't do this. Especially husbands, right? The woman you put here with me, she's the problem of all things. I, I mean, what in the world, right? Just a chapter ago, she is the... Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Now this is, it is the women you put here with me. Now we all know not to do this. Don't judge and blame. But it happens, doesn't it? 
we judge and blame others, ourselves, God, reality, all the time. Fruit of knowledge of good and bad, it, it's all around us today, not just in these pages, not just in distant history. It's happening right now, all around us. I mean, why did Putin invade Ukraine? Didn't he have enough as the czar of all Russia? I mean, what could he want more? I mean, why does Trump do what he does? I mean, hasn't he had enough in his life? And why does Bezos and Musk, they, they just keep, like, competing with, you, with each other, like, in, in, like, a pissing contest or something? You know, who has the bigger spaceship, right? It's never enough. We are all driven by some need for some covering, no matter where we get to, to make ourselves feel better, feel superior. These coverings can be money, can be success, can be righteousness, can be fame, could be the color of your skin, could be your sexual orientation, could be your gender. All these arbitrary measures we can use as a covering happens all the time it drives us these deep inner doubts and questions am i worthy am i good enough good enough compared to what you see on your social media posts from your friends you know from your peers from whoever you are connected to, these perfect vacation pictures, right? It just looks perfect in a sunset with, like, beautiful-looking family or something. And you look at that, and you just think, you know, my life is not like that, right? What does that do to you? What does that do to us? This is the true problem of humanity. And this is why Jesus... Instead of solving world hunger or something with his divine powers, that would have been useful, right? No, what he chooses to do is that he chooses to go and die on the cross. When he had divine powers, he could have been like some Marvel superhero, right? End all wars, do anything. But no, he dies on the cross. What does that accomplish? Have you ever wondered? Why didn't he do something more useful? Well, I believe this was the most useful thing he could have done. Because he addresses the root problem of humanity. He undoes the fall in the cross. Because the cross declares, you are good enough as you are. You are the beloved. You are accepted unconditionally. It's not about you. It's about God. And God's declaration and God's appraisal and judgment over you. You are worth the life of God incarnate. That is how precious you are. Amen? That is a powerful message that stands against the tree of knowledge of good and evil that constantly judges and makes you feel sh coming up short. The cross is the tree of life. 
that stands against the tree of death, the knowledge, the judging between good and evil, that constantly makes us feel short. It is the antidote to every kind of judging and blaming. It undoes the fall. Do you see that? So now we have a genuine choice. We can, choose, we can choose to believe we are the beloved of God, as flawed as we are, no matter what, whatever we deserve. We are still the beloved. The love does not count whether you deserve. My kids, I don't think they deserve my love. You know, they're still like taking all this resource from me. <laughs> you know, do they deserve it? That doesn't come into calculation, does it? You just love. That is God's love over you. And that is what makes you worthy, not some covering of some fig leaf. That is faith. That is the fight of faith. Because it takes work to believe that. It's so easy to not believe that. This is why faith is relevant today. So if you can believe this, the gospel can change you from inside out. It can make you feel whole, complete. Not this insecure hole is in your hearts. But towards contentment with a sense of feeling beloved and worthy. That will feel like heaven. Doesn't that sound good? So my first practical suggestion today is to embrace yourself in the love of God. Try to see yourself from the eyes of God who declares you equivalent in worth to the God incarnate instead of just keep seeing it from the lens of the world. You know, worth the life of it. That is an amazing worth. You cannot top that. And so does everyone else. Fight to believe this. It's not easy. I often reject myself. You know, my, I come from Korea. I often visit Korea. I was there this summer. A lot happened. More to tell you about it in later sermons. But one of the things that often happens when I go to Korea is that I have relatives that are super, super successful and super, super accomplished. Very highly accomplished people. So that... So that can easily put me in this kind of like comparison mode, right? And what have I done with my PhD from MIT, you know? Just a pastor of a small neighborhood church. What, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like you can feel small in your eyes. Has that ever happened to you? Feel small in your eyes because you compare yourself to maybe your high school friend who looked like a total loser but he started up something in Silicon Valley and he's like a billionaire now and you just think oh my god you know <laughs> what have I done with my life you see these like 16 year olds like winning Olympic gold medals and you think oh my gosh you know what have I done with my you know what I'm saying have you measured up? Do you measure up to these people, friends, family, or even to your own expectations and standards from when you grew up 
Have you become all that you could have been? It's one of the most dangerous things in America. In America, you can be anything you want to be. You know, you can be the president. Only one person out of 330 million people can become the president. It's like, it's easier to win mega jackpot lottery, guys. But these things put standards and expectations in your head. Have you measured up? And it can make you miserable. But when you turn to God, I can get the antidote. I get the message of the gospel that offers freedom from such judging. Because my worth and value is in the cross. It's not about what I've done or what I can do. It's about the cross. God declares to us all today, we are all worth the life of God incarnate. You cannot top that. Don't try. Just accept it. That is a good message, don't you think? Whether you are Christian or not, whether you consider yourself Christian or not, that's a good message. It's good news. Who could object? Now, I want to make one thing clear. This does not mean I'm telling you to stop trying to set goals to improve your life. Do your best to try to improve your life. Be as happy and wealthy and rich and successful as you can be because it makes your life easier that way. But that's it. Don't let it get to your head. You know, you're not more worthy because you're successful. It just makes your life a little easier. That's all it is. Right? See the difference? So don't use negative motivation like if I fail, I'm worthless. So I'm going to work my butt off so that I don't fail, I get promoted, whatever. We, we use motivation like this. Because it can give us drive and energy to go get what we want to get. But please understand, you are eating from the knowledge of good and evil, good and bad, when you do this. When you are beating up on yourself like that, it has spiritual cost. You are standing against the cross. That should alarm you. Don't do that. Instead, use motivation like, God loves me. I should love myself. I want to be good to myself. So I'm going to do, set goals like this because that's treating myself well. Along with how God sees me. Do you see that? If you see yourself as worthy, then you start treating yourself better. Right? That's what we should do. Much healthier, but hard to do. So I'm going to call us to some hard spiritual disciplines in order to cultivate this unconditional mentality that comes from the cross. To walk towards the tree of life, we have to do some hard work that is very counterintuitive to our nature. For example, when good things happen, don't just feel good and celebrate. Try to get a sense of whether that is translating to your sense of worth. Try to identify. Or when you fail, 
Measure your reaction, whether that translated to how you feel about your sense of self. This kind of introspection is the first step towards the tree of life, the cross, cross-centered life. Ask yourself questions like, what must I have? What gets to me? What goes to my head? In other words, what makes you look and feel good in your own eyes? What do you use to judge yourself and others? Success, beauty, righteousness, good opinion of others, being responsible? Everybody has slightly different yardstick. So try to figure out what is yours. Again, it's good to be successful and responsible, but when they become the measure of your worth, it's toxic. So try to see when it translates over. Another thing we must do, we must become more aware of and fight the injustices in this world that comes from conditional mentality. This goes to the mission of Christian faith. Because if the Bible is to be believed, it's the tree of knowledge of good and bad that is the root of all sin and evil. It's the conditional mentality. So the mission of all Christians is not just to get people to accept and recite some statements about faith. That's not it. More on that later in other sermons. But that's not it. Our mission is to stand where Christ stood, to stand with Christ in a cross-centered life, to stand with the tree of life, to oppose the tree of knowledge of good and evil that continues to corrupt this world. So we need to look around us. Do you see differential treatment because of some condition? Oh yeah, it's all around us. Did you know that black people, when they try to sell their houses, if they hire white people to pose as the owners of the house, they can get 40% more. How does such a thing happen? It's the same house. Right? But this is so prevalent. This human judging of some arbitrary thing that's in the subconscious of the people that such things happen. How do I explain such things? There is, there is some cultural arbitrary judgment that's driving everyone subconsciously. It's the light by which we see women, how they are treated differently just because they are women. Just a hundred years ago, women could not vote. They could not own property. They were more like property themselves. Can you believe that? Just a hundred years ago, just because they are women. Women should not speak in public. That's in the Bible, if you can believe that. But should we go with that just because it's in the Bible? 
so is slavery in the Bible. That's why the church supported slavery for 1,800 years. Church representing Christ and God's unconditional love supported slavery for 1,800 years. It's only recently that the church at large have flip-flopped on this issue. And it's not entirely clear why. Because there's nothing in the Bible that says fight slavery. In fact, it's the other way. So what is going on there? How did this approach change? There is this approach to right and wrong in church that takes these few passages in the Bible and construct the whole theology and just say, just go with this because it's in the Bible. That is standing with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Christians must fight slavery with all we got because it is a result of conditional mentality. If someone's skin is darker, you can treat them bad? Don't you think that's like the definition of conditional mentality? That comes from the tree of knowledge of good and bad? It is at the heart of the gospel to fight slavery, not just because we want to be nicer to black people, you know, even though the Bible says differently and we just want to be nice. That's not it. This, it violates the heart of the cross. It violates the heart of the tree of life. It violates everything that, stand, that, that we stand for, that we are all beloved children of God. You see that? When you stand in that place of the tree of life, then it becomes very clear where you must stand, right? So does LGBTQ rights, women's rights, poor people's rights, minority rights. We must fight for equal treatment, unconditional mentality, because that is the cross. That is our mission. You know, our church stands to accept fully LGBTQ community. It doesn't come from some, ah, uh, you know, let's just be a little nicer to people. Let's just compromise with the culture today because culture today is different. Let's just be more contemporary and, and, and hip with what's going on. B.S. We do not. That's not why. It comes from the conviction of what the heart of the gospel is. It is missional for us. It is not just that, oh, you can just be one of us now. That's not our stance. Our stance is this is the heart of the gospel. We must fight for LGBTQ rights because we must fight for unconditional mentality. Do you see that? We are called to be a people of mission. Go, look around you, in yourself and around you, where this conditional mentality rooted in the knowledge of good and evil is coming from and stand against it. For you are the people of tree of life. You are the people of the cross. Take up your cross daily and stand with Christ. We must stand where he stood. Amen? We are all beloved children of God. Let me pray. God, 
Thank you for this message of the gospel that frees us from the rat race, from the comparisons and all the judgings and feelings of coming up short. Free us from inside out and free this world for this fall, the fall of humanity is just ongoing all around us. It is this, it's just ever-present. It is happening even now. It is not just thousands of years ago. It is happening today. And so help us to come out of it and help us to stand with the kingdom of God that is advancing against this darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to go upstairs after the service. Come and chat with me. There is lunch. I have said some provocative things today. There is so much more that could be talked about. So come up, ask questions. Any question is welcome. God bless you.